The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Busy, Stressed, and Food Obsessed with host and author of the award-winning book of the same name, Lisa Lutan. Lisa has amazing tips to help you slow down, get healthy, manage your time, improve your relationships, and deal with stress. Now, here is Lisa Lutan. Hey, it's Lisa, and welcome to my show where I get to introduce you to my favorite health and wellness rock stars. I am totally jazzed for my guest today, Isabel Fox and Duke. Isabel is the creator of Stop Fighting Food, which is a free video training program for women who want to stop feeling crazy around food. Now, you know this is a topic very near and dear to my heart since I wrote a book called Busy, Stressed, and Food Obsessed, where I share a lot of my own food crazy. So this is going to be a super interesting conversation today. But more about Isabel. After years of trying to overcome emotional eating, binge eating, and chronic weight cycling through traditional and alternative approaches, Isabel discovered some radical new ways to get women over their food issues once and for all. Not just by shifting their mindsets, but by challenging our diet culture as a whole. A fixture and thought leader in the greater body positive movement, Isabel has been featured in the Huffington Post, Elle magazine, and even been praised by Ricky Lake. Now, I stumbled upon Isabel's writing and videos a few years ago, and I was immediately struck by how someone so young had so much wisdom and passion, and it was actually a little bit intimidating, (laughs) to tell you the truth. So therefore, I have no doubt we are all going to learn so much from her today. Isabel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. This is so fun. I'm really excited. Me too. Now, Isabel, I start every single guest with my five Lisa's Ask Every Guest questions. So let's do this. Number one, what did you have for breakfast today? Oh, I literally woke up 15 minutes ago, so I'm still working on my morning tea and uh, will probably have hard-boiled eggs and a muffin in about an hour. What is your favorite form of exercise? Walking uh, definitely is number one. Actually, maybe swimming comes first, but I don't get to do. I don't get to swim as often. But I, I would say swimming in an ideal world, walking in a more realistic world. Cool. What's a habit you are trying to either break or add to your life? Um, meditation. Um, I am, I have a conflicted relationship with meditation. I am, I am constantly combating my resistance to doing it and also constantly feeling so clear about why it is so important in my life. Um, so meditation is something that I am regularly kind of, for lack of a better word, on and off the wagon of and trying to be on the wagon lately. How do you spend the first hour of your day? 
Unfortunately, I'm going to have to go with answering emails <laughs> uh, now that I live on the West Coast and all, most of my clients and people that I work with are on the East Coast or in Europe. Uh, I feel like the mornings are when I'm actually most crazed with work and then things really calm down for me in the afternoons and I chill out and go for walks and do yoga. But the mornings, I'm, I'm, I actually tend to be uh, m- start with answering emails for better or for worse. And who is someone in your life that inspires you? Um, Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I would say the person who comes to mind is a woman named Virgie Tovar, who may or may not be recognizable to to some people listening to this. Anyone anyone who's in my uh, fan club who's listening to this will know that I praise Virgie constantly, but she is... Um, a body positive activist who is just the most infectious person on the planet. She is a woman living in an alternative sized body and uh, just absolutely killing it, loving life. And just, she is just the most joyful person that I know. And I think that that's what I'm looking for right now more than anything is just joy. Aren't we all? Yeah. So Isabel, tell us, what's your story? How did you end up getting into this work that you're doing? So I think like many, many people in my field, um, my story starts with my personal story, right? I mean, I, I got into this work because I struggled personally with food and my relationship with food for most of my life. I usually start interviews by telling people that I was put on my first diet when I was three years old by my pediatrician because I was high on the baby BMI scale. And I um, pretty much have no memory. I mean, I was so young when I started dieting or when I was put on my first diet, I really have no memory of not being A, obsessed with food and constantly wanting more than I quote unquote was allowed to have or could have. Um, And simultaneously also, I don't remember never, I I don't have any memories of not thinking that I was too fat, right? And that my body wasn't okay. So, you know, people always say, you're so young to have this information. I was very, very young when this problem started. I, I have literally no memories of being a child and not having food or body image issues. Um, And as a result, my sort of dysfunctional relationship with food got out of control very, very fast. I mean, uh, again, because I was a child, I used to do, I used to think that it was totally okay to just try to not eat all day um, or or whatever. I, I was so desperate to be thin. I really believed that becoming thin was the answer to all of my problems in life. And I've found myself in some pretty dysfunctional behaviors with food, both under eating, overeating, right? And then just constant diet binge cycling for that just became more and more extreme um, up until my teenage years when I ended up in treatment. Um, So yeah, so I mean, I was, this was the dominant problem in my life was this feeling of, oh my gosh, I'm too fat. I shouldn't eat that. And then on the flip side, you know, something would happen. I would just break. I couldn't hang on to my diet or I couldn't hang on to that control that I was trying to exert around food in my body one second longer. And I would just fall into 
cabinets of, you know, whatever was available to me, you know, jars of peanut butter, whatever chocolate chips were around, you know, going to the deli, buying more food at the age of 12. I mean, like, it was just a constant back and forth between trying to control myself around food and really trying to control my body size um, and constantly falling wildly out of control into these really, really intense binge eating behaviors. And then, of course, everything in between, right? Lots of emotional eating, lots of just compulsive eating, lots of, okay, no, I didn't quite lose it. You know, you only screwed up a little bit and, you know, just trying to save myself from completely losing it. I mean, it was just a constant struggle and a constant fight. Um, And then did eventually end up in treatment for binge eating disorder when I was 19. Um, And that was sort of when the second half of my story really starts, which is the story of me trying to find a solution and realizing there is a lot of conflicting information out there and a lot of very bad solution being proposed out there, um, particularly for binge eaters. You know, so many people, I think, think the answer to binge eating is to just exert more control and more control. Um, and, you know, now more and more clinicians and therapists and groovy nutritionists are really starting to understand, no, 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 screwing with your biological instincts around food is where a lot of this problem starts, right? We can't fall off of a wagon that we aren't on to begin with. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's, uh, that's the short version of my story. <laughs> and I love what you just said. We can't fall off a wagon that we're not on. Now, first of all, how much courage was that on your part to just challenge the existing, you know, dogma, what was out that was out there? And how did you, how did you even start testing that out? Did you try what they said? Did it not work? Did you say I have to find a better way? Oh, yeah. I mean, I tried every, you know, people say I've tried every diet in the book. And I say, yeah, well, I tried every diet in the book before I was 19. After I was 19, post-treatment, I tried every treatment in the book, right? Like I tried every binge eating recovery thing in the book, right? And so, which again, were varied. I mean, it was everything from, you know, you've got to stick to this meal plan to, okay, no, 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 you're addicted to sugar to, you know, oh, no, no, you're addicted to flour. First of all, most of them were very food-based to when you're starting to edge into more emotional stuff, it became, you know, oh, when you want to eat, just take a bath. But still, of course, within the context of there's a right way to eat and a wrong way to eat. And so just take a bath instead of eating the wrong way, you know, these kinds of sort of techniques around um, quote unquote stress eating or whatever, which were still very, very much kind of diet culture focused. And um, so I, uh, you know, I was just constantly, it, it just didn't occur to me that, first of all, it never occurred to me that I had a body image problem. Like I really thought, I really bought into the answer is just me trying to get control over my food because that's how binge eaters think, right? I mean, that's so common for binge eaters. How we experience the problem is I just can't control my food. And the goal is to try and figure out how to control my food. It wasn't until years into my attempts at recovery that I realized human beings are actually not meant to control their food, right? We are meant to allow our biological instincts to play a role in how we eat and how we function around this very, again, natural biological instinct. Um, And when we don't allow our natural biological instincts to be honored around food, um, binge eating, emotional eating, compulsive eating, dysfunction as 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 a concept around food is pretty much inevitable. 
right? If you screw with your biological instincts around food, if you deny your physical hunger, if you deny, um, you know, uh, like your ability to give yourself what you really need, um, you are going to have a lot of problems with food pretty much inevitably. Um, So, yeah. So I know that, you know, so many of the women that I work with, you know, what you're saying everyone can relate to. I think that these things are so common with, for so many of us, this um, trying to figure it out. If I just keep finding the right diet, if I just keep finding the right thing, all my problems will go away. Right. Mm -hmm. So how do we, how do we stop that mentality? How do we get off that wagon that doesn't exist? And how do we move into a place of, you know, to stop getting crazy? Yeah. Well, so I think, um, I'll just share really quickly. So what ended up happening to me at the end, which was sort of my like breakdown moment where I kind of really sort of broke through was that I was struggling with, um, I was going back and forth between these two types of recovery models at the time that were both proposed as the answer, the answer with a capital A. And one was, you know, be on a meal plan, no sugar, no flour, super, super restrictive. You know, like if you eat one bite, off of your meal plan, you're off the wagon. Um, and the other was um, intuitive eating, which sounded like such a dream. Um, how, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. Of course I have to eat when I'm hungry and stop when I'm full. But of course, in my diet mind, when I was first attempting intuitive eating, I would get completely freaked out whenever I would, quote unquote, make a mistake. I would get completely freaked out whenever I'd want to eat food when I wasn't hungry. I'd get completely freaked out when I would eat emotionally. I would get complete, right? I would still approaching, I was almost approaching this non-diet approach to food with diet mentality, right? And so as a result, I was finding myself in a lot of the same patterns and behaviors, a lot of the same, I fell off the wagon of intuitive eating. There should be no falling off the wagon of like just listening to your body and doing what feels intuitively right for you. But somehow in my mind, I had made it such that there was a right way to eat intuitively. Um, And, you know, so I was going back and forth kind of, you know, what's the answer? What's the answer? Intuitive eating in quotes in my, which I have had, of course, like made into this diet thing, even though it's obviously not meant to be, but in my brain and my crazy in my mentality, I'd made it such sort of going back and forth between that and this really restrictive plan. And um, at one point, I just sort of broke down and I was like, neither of these work. I cannot, I cannot control my food, right? Like I really, I just this, there is no answer to making my food quote unquote, right. All I can do is be kind to myself, live in radical acceptance of myself, and try to treat myself well one day at a time, you know? And um, I just, I, I kind of gave up. And people get very scared when we talk about giving up. But when I, get, when I gave up, when I actually said, you know what, I'm not going to try and control my body anymore, right? I'm going to actually try to be kind to my body, be respectful of my body, treat myself well. If I eat a cupcake when I'm sad, okay, that's the best I could do right then. Good, you know, it's okay. It's okay, babe. And when that mental shift occurred it was like everything changed for me like all of the sudden that was really me sort of starting to let go of diet mentality now the key thing here to remember is you know in order to do this we have to practice so much body image work 
and so much body respect because what actually has to occur, I think, in order for people to recover is that sanity, right? You're, you know, the, the desire to no longer have food run your life, the desire to just not be obsessed with food, the desire to really just mentally recover from this problem has to be more important than the weight I end up at when I am doing it. Wow. So, so it's a body image issue. It's not a diet issue. Yeah. No. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. This is the thing. Did you see the movie Embrace? I, I actually haven't, and I'm probably the worst body positive actress <laughs> in the world for having not seen it, uh, but I've heard quite a bit about it, and I have, you know, several friends who were interviewed for it, and I, I hear, you know, wonderful things about it, so, yeah. Yeah, I hosted uh, two sold-out screenings of it in my area, and it's, uh, it really, I think you're going to love it. It's just really very powerful, and I think this whole question of body image issue is so important. You know, are we... Are we just supposed to accept where we end up or are we supposed to work at it? And that's, you know, this is our whole culture. You know, how are we supposed to deal with that right now when we're told we're supposed to be thin and perfect and, you know, have a baby and be back in our jeans in six weeks? You know, how do you look at all that? I mean, I think that most people look at the culture and think to themselves, well, this is, and just are completely bought into it, right? Like, well, of course, thin is good and fat is bad. And of course, you know, gaining 10 pounds is the worst thing in the world. And of course, the most important thing for me as a woman in particular is to be able to fit into these genes. And, you know, because again, to your point, these are the messages that we're consuming all day long. But we actually have a radical choice to make, which is to identify those messages as really social oppression, right? Like, really, I mean, it is, you know, one of the major women's issues of our time um, is to really be able to identify this message and say, no, I will not participate in this. I do not agree with this, right? And it's so challenging and it's so difficult because you really have to be able to go against the grain of the society in which you live. You really have to kind of be a revolutionary, right? And you really have to sort of fight against real um, social injustice. And that is a totally different kind of work than certainly dieting and participating in, in this craziness is, God knows that's work. But what I think a lot of recovery is really about deciding to do a different kind of work, right? It's like, I'm no longer going to spend all of my days dieting, trying to fit myself into this mold, getting into this craziness, probably only to fail realistically, right? I mean, 95% of people who attempt to diet are going to end up in this binge eating yo-yo cycle and just, you know, rebound, weight gain, blah, blah, blah. But I, I am either- <laughs> so inspired and we are going to break right now, but I'm with Isabel Fox and Duke and we're radically going to change the way you think about your body. So stay tuned and we'll be right back after the break. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Are you a busy, stressed, and hungry go-getter who knows what to do to get healthier but has trouble doing it? The problem with popular diets is that they were designed for other people, not you. Sure, they might work for the short term, but for the longer term results, you need a plan designed specifically for your unique body and lifestyle. How about the stress in your life? Do you ever stop and take a deep breath? Do you know what all this stress is doing to your health? Healthy living strategist and author of Busy, Stressed, and Food Obsessed, 
Lisa Lutan will get you on your way with coaching, online courses and challenges, and even retreats. You will learn tips and strategies to help you calm down, get healthy, and make you feel and look better than ever. For a limited time, Lisa Lutan is offering a free 15-minute breakthrough session to help you get started feeling better right away. Just visit HealthyHappyAndHip.com to get your free 15-minute breakthrough strategy session. That's HealthyHappyAndHip. Yes, you heard it right. HealthyHappyAndHip.com and enter your info in the contact page. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to Busy, Stressed, and Food Obsessed. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. Feel like sending an email instead? Send it to Lisa at HealthyHappyAndHip.com. Now, back to Busy, Stressed, and Food Obsessed. Here again is Lisa Lutan. Hey, everybody, welcome back. I'm having a super exciting conversation with Isabel Fox and Duke, and we're talking about radically changing our body image. And so, Isabel, let's keep going with this because I think that, you know, this is so exciting. Like, oh, I'm not the problem, you know, <laughs> like my body's fine. And we do have so much pressure. I, I want to share with something super quickly with you on this. You know, I was giving a talk maybe about a couple of years ago, and they were women in their 70s. And I said to my mom, like, mom, what do women think about in their 70s? And she's like, how to lose weight. And I was like, no, really? Mm. She's like, yeah. And, you know, I deal with a lot of women in their 40s, 50s, 60s. And I'm sure you're probably dealing with women of, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s. And this is, you know, permeating women, you know, our culture at every single age. So this is a huge Mm -hmm. issue and we need to make some changes here. So talk to us about this body image and how we can start radically changing our view on this. Well, so number one, which I just sort of alluded to before the break, you know, is actually starting to identify the message, all the messages around us that are are basically being sent our way to tell us you're not okay, you're not okay, your body's wrong. And really being able to, instead of, you know, do our best, and this is, again, this is a practice, not a perfection, but do our best to sort of fight back against those messages. So instead of being like, oh my gosh, you're right, my body is wrong, this is the worst thing in the world, I didn't fit into the genes, or they don't make it in my size, or, you know, whatever the thing is that's coming up, whatever the sort of Um, avenue for oppression that's coming up instead of taking that on as oh my gosh yup you're right my body's not okay really actively practicing saying no 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 my body is fundamentally fine the way it is these messages are the problem right so it's really starting to practice mentally noticing when negative body image messages are coming your way whether they be through people family members friends or the media wherever they may be coming from and actively practicing rejecting them rather than taking them on as well yes of course my body sucks and I need to go lose weight right away but how do we balance that balance that with that some people are at unhealthy weights you know it's not a question of do I look good you know if I five or ten pounds like many people are at risk you know for serious health issues so how do we take that body acceptance with the need to stay healthy So the reality of the situation is that health is created by 
practicing healthy behaviors, right? I mean, realistically speaking, like if we want to have a conversation, we need to reframe how we think about health from being about what my body looks like today and shift it to what am I doing today to take care of myself? These are very two different ways to think about health, right? I mean, right now, one of the biggest problems in our medical system is that we look at a person's body size and we assess their health on the basis of body size rather than actually looking at them as humans and saying, what are you doing to take care of yourself? Are you moving your body on a regular basis? Are you getting vegetables? Are you managing your blood sugar? Right? This is what actual health is, right? I mean, if you think about the various chronic, quote unquote, weight related illnesses that people are dealing with in our in our in the United States and beyond, you know, throughout the world, right? These chronic illnesses are not caused necessarily by fat cells on the body, right? They're caused by various behavioral, you know, things that are happening, various environmental and other situational issues that people are dealing with in just the fact that we live in a sort of a modern culture where people are sitting in cars, for instance, all day long, those kinds of things. Um, And so we really need to, you know, this focus on weight being the issue is, um, is actually is very problematic. And what we're really doing is we're just being lazy. Doctors are being lazy. The medical industry is being lazy and deciding, well, you know, it takes too much time to really get to know someone and talk to them about behavioral change. So we're just going to like, you know, clap our hands and and diagnose them just by putting them on the scale, because that's a number that we can measure easily that we know correlates to all of these other problems. Uh, But realistically, correlation is not causation, right? And ultimately, at the end of the day, you're going to have a lot better chance fighting something like diabetes, for instance, by actually thinking about things like, what am I eating? How am I moving? Managing my blood sugar, actually looking at vital physical indicators, than just deciding that my weight point blank is whether or not I have diabetes. That is not actually factually accurate. That is a lazy way that our medical system is in a very problematic way dealing with chronic health issues today. I think that takes so much pressure off because so many people will say to me, you know, I don't get it. I'm eating healthy. I'm exercising and I still have that, that weight. It's not shifting for me. And I think that is so stressful, you know, for all of us, right? Like, what am I doing wrong? I'm going back to this, like something about me is broken. Right. You know, it must, yeah, it must be that I'm the failure because everybody is telling me if I do this and this and this, I'm going to look like that. Right. And exactly. And the reality of the situation is that body bodies are diverse, right? Bodies are different. Your healthy weight at five foot six is not the same as my healthy weight at five foot six, right? And that's that's okay. The much bigger question if we're gonna talk about health, the less lazy question if we're gonna talk about health is how are you taking care of your body, right? Given your personal holistic situation and needs, right? Like, are you doing what you can to take care of yourself, to manage your stress, to make sure you're getting enough sleep, making sure you're drinking enough water, um, you know, getting the foods that you can. And again, this all becomes a little bit challenging because, you know, in the body positive community, there's a whole conversation about healthism as well. And sort of the idea that, you know, we sort of judge people on the basis of, you know, how well they can take care of their health, when in reality, um, you know, health is very dynamic and intersects with, you know, am I a single mother who's working 12 hours a day to pay the bills? You know, we've got to take our lifestyle um, circumstances into consideration when we're talking about how can we create best health for an individual. Um, That being said, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, at the very least, we should be moving away from talking about 
pounds and numbers as this sort of direct measure of health and really understanding correlation and causation are not the same thing. If we really want to be best helping people develop and, uh, you know, their best health that they can have and preventing chronic illnesses or treating chronic illnesses, et cetera, we need to really help people focus on developing healthy behaviors, right? Weight is not a behavior. You know, weight, your weight is going to be whatever is healthful for it by definition when you are doing your best to pursue health in your behaviors. So, Isabel, I don't know if you know this, but on page 166 of my book, I have your quote by you that says, if my weight were an accurate measure of my health, my beauty or self-worth, scales might be valuable. But I broke up with that belief a long time ago. I yeah. love that. So, yeah. Now, do you think there is a place for scales? You know, some people say, oh, you know, if you want to keep your weight in check, weigh yourself every day. And, uh, and I often say for some people, it's a weapon of mass destruction. So yeah. what do you think about all that? Yeah, I mean, I think that scales are pretty useless and they are definitely can be destructive. I think they're destructive for most people. I think there's very few people for whom scales are completely emotionally neutral, given that we live in an incredibly weight biased, weight stigmatizing world and people are dealing with oppression around, you know, how they view their bodies on a regular basis. So the the harm risk is very high and the benefit of scales is pretty much slim to none. Again, weight is not how we should be, is not an accurate measure of health, right? If you want to pursue best health, go pursue healthy behaviors, right? Go take a walk, eat your vegetables, drink water, get enough sleep, manage your stress, right? These are healthy behaviors. Behaviors are what matter in actually creating health. You cannot accurately measure health on the scale. And typically speaking, people who are using the scale as a measure of their health are actually engaging in um, pretty, or, or typically speaking, it's very rare that people are able to do that in an emotionally neutral way in which those numbers are not affecting them negatively psychologically because we live in this weight stigmatizing world. Um, and most people have internalized the message that their beauty, their worth, their value as a human socially, their social status is uh, somehow reflected in that number. So, you know, I very much encourage my clients to get away from the scale as quickly as they possibly can. Because in my experience, just to cut to the chase, it triggers dysfunctional eating behaviors pretty quickly. You know, it's so funny because I could say personally, when I threw out my scale, I was such a happier person. <laughs> I mean, I will admit I put on a few pounds, but I'm so much happier because, you know, remember, I remember that feeling and I know so many women like this, that number dictated, is it a good day or a bad day? Am I mm-hmm. worthy or am I not? You know, and it's like when you think about why is a number tied to our self-esteem? Like, how does that happen? It happens as a result of this sort of social conditioning, right? And so the reality of the situation is when you think about self-esteem, self-esteem for humans is very much tied to where we perceive our social status relative to other people, right? Like self-esteem... Typically speaking, we develop self-esteem through like things like, am I worthy of love? Did I get love? And and this goes back all the way to like child rearing, like was I loved by my parents? You know, these kinds of things all affect our self-esteem. But ultimately, our self-esteem, how it develops, very much develops within a social context of, you know, sort of am I... Um, accepted by the group? Am I approved of by the group? Do I have security within my relationships? Those kinds of things. Very, very much heavily 
impact our self-esteem, right? Our self-esteem does not just appear in a vacuum. It appears within the context of our social environment, starting from when we're very young. And so when you're raised in a fat phobic society, right? When you're raised, raised in, a, in a society which basically has decided to provide social benefits and social privileges to thinner people and in many ways sort of oppress and, um, you know, uh, disadvantage larger body types, you're going to be in a situation where people's self-esteem is very, very much influenced by that reality, depending on where they perceive themselves to be on the weight spectrum. And this is incredibly problematic, right? I mean, this is what really needs to change for sort of um, disordered, dysfunctional eating behaviors to, to actually be solved in our society. What actually needs to be changed is we need to have a massive cultural shift take place where we are fighting weight stigma and fighting against, you know, like weight biased attitudes and beliefs on a grand scale. So how do we do that? Like, what's the first step? I mean, it found, it feels like a we need a women's march. You know? Yeah, we do. Like do. Yeah, like, how does this change happen? We do. I mean, to your point, I mean, it sounds like people are like, oh, my gosh, we need to march. We do need to march. I mean, really, this is a social justice issue. And so I think absolutely to your point, long term, we need to think about this as a political issue, right? I mean, we really need to think about this as a social justice issue to be fought, right? We need to fight for body equality. And I think that that happens on multiple levels. It happens on a greater social scale, right? So like actually joining together in community and, you know, making movies like Embrace or, um, you know, like writing to, you know, talking to our doctors about practices that are not necessarily in alignment with research and are lazy and don't take my holistic being into consideration. You know, all of these are sort of mini political acts. Um, Just to give you an example, there has been time of actual real like legal action that's been taken um, on behalf of larger bodies in recent years. So for example, you know, right now there are people who are being fired for jobs because of their weight, right? This is, should not be allowed. There need to be legal protections for people of larger body sizes. This is not, um, this is not appropriate uh, infrastructural, like this is not appropriate as a civil, right? As a civil rights issue, we need to be taking these kinds of issues issues really seriously. So there's sort of the greater, grander scale of we need to organize socially and actually fight weight stigma and weight inequality as a social issue, just like we would fight gender inequality, for instance, right? I mean, this is, and of course, these two things intersect, but we need to really be active, proactive about fighting this fight on a grand social sort of community organizing level. Now, as an individual, what we can do, these are so many different micro actions we can do, right? I think it was, I forget, I think it was Gandhi who said, you know, sort of change starts with within or something along those lines. But if I change myself, right, if I change my weight biased attitudes, if I refuse to participate in weight biased, um, you know, communication and refuse to wait, participate in fat body shaming, et cetera, both towards myself and other people. That is the most, that is like where the change starts, right? The change starts with you as an individual. Like what side of this do you want to be on? Do you want to be on the body shaming, continuing to proliferate fat hate side? Or do you want to be on the, nope, I refuse to do that, right? Like maybe I don't have the ability to go march in a, in, march in a, in a parade right now, but 
I am not going to participate in fat shaming today. I am not going to participate in diet culture today. I, as an individual, know where I stand on this issue. And that is step one. You know, it reminds me, and I, I actually talked about this in my book. I remember once talking just to a friend, and she's like, oh, I feel so fat. Like, I don't want to put a bathing suit on, blah, blah, blah. You know, this is a conversation we hear all the time, right, as women. Mm-hmm. And I realized that for the next few days, I was feeling really bad about myself because I thought, you know what, I'm not going to go there. You know, like I had moved away from this self-talk and I really thought to myself, I don't want to participate in that conversation anymore. So Mm -hmm. I think, you know, at a minimum, just, you know, even with your own friends, we have to challenge our conversations about that and tell each other we're beautiful, right? That's where I would start. You're beautiful. Yeah. Um, we're going to take a short break right now. We'll be back um, in a minute. I'm talking with Isabel Fox and Duke, and this is really important, so stay tuned. We're going to tell you how to start changing the conversation with yourself, with your friends, with your life. Be back in a sec. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Are you a busy, stressed, and hungry go-getter who knows what to do to get healthier but has trouble doing it? The problem with popular diets is that they were designed for other people, not you. Sure, they might work for the short term, but for the longer term results, you need a plan designed specifically for your unique body and lifestyle. How about the stress in your life? Do you ever stop and take a deep breath? Do you know what all this stress is doing to your health? Healthy living strategist and author of Busy, Stressed, and Food Obsessed, Lisa Lutan will get you on your way with coaching, online courses and challenges, and even retreats. You will learn tips and strategies to help you calm down, get healthy, and make you feel and look better than ever. For a limited time, Lisa Lutan is offering a free 15-minute breakthrough session to help you get started feeling better right away. Just visit HealthyHappyAndHip.com to get your free 15-minute breakthrough strategy session. That's HealthyHappyAndHip. Yes, you heard it right. HealthyHappyAndHip.com and enter your info in the contact page. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to Busy, Stressed, and Food Obsessed. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. Feel like sending an email instead? Send it to Lisa at HealthyHappyAndHip.com. Now, back to Busy, Stressed, and Food Obsessed. Here again is Lisa Lutan. Hey, everybody, welcome back. I'm having a really amazing conversation right now with Isabel Fox and Duke about, you know, body acceptance and all this important stuff that we all really need to be thinking about in a whole new way. So we were talking about the conversations that we have with ourselves and with our friends when we, right before the break. So Isabel, what, what do we do when we're in a situation like so many of us women are where that conversation goes to, oh, I feel so fat or like, oh, I need to lose five pounds. Like, how can we redirect that? Uh, so it kind of depends a little bit on you and how comfortable you feel with this conversation and the language around it, how comfortable you feel um, participating in sort of 
uh, kind educational conflict or not. I mean, of course, there's one, the, the probably the most simple way just for your own self-protection is to literally just veer the conversation in a new direction, right? Like, I'm not going to participate in this conversation. I'm going to change the subject right now, right? So if somebody starts talking about, oh my gosh, I need to go on a diet, you know, do I look fat in these jeans? It's just like, I'm just going to do my absolute best to just completely redirect the conversation. I'm not going to answer any of the questions. I'm not going to say yes. I'm not going to say no. I am just going to completely redirect this conversation or potentially, you know, just say assuage the conversation with, you know, something to the effect of, I think you look beautiful always, no matter what. Like, I think you've looked beautiful in the past, present, and future. I think your body is perfect at all times and just moving on, right? Just, or, you know, just veer the, again, the, the key being here to veer the conversation in a new direction if that is what you, if that's where your comfort level is right now right if your comfort level at this point is not to um, be able to engage in sort of um, educational conversations around this stuff which is fine for a lot of people that'll be where you're at at the very least right it's I'm not going to participate and I'm going to move this conversation in a new direction um Now, depending on your comfort level, you know, some people may also feel it's appropriate in certain circumstances, depending on who they're with and their comfort level, et cetera, may feel comfortable actually deciding to have an educational conversation with someone where we actually challenge that person's point of view, right? Like, oh, like, why, you know, like, why do you think it's so wrong to have a larger body size or to you know what what is so wrong with 10 pounds like why why is this a problem or um you know actually say you know say something even more direct like i really don't want to participate in body shaming right i really that's just not in alignment with my values there's so many different ways that this conversation can go and it's hard to even sort of nail down one particular route um because again i think it really depends on the individual's personal comfort level with having conversations that sometimes can be a little bit conflicting and challenging, um, particularly to the person who is participating in the body shaming, right? And so I always say, you know, it's you kind of have to meet yourself where you are and sort of pick your battles. Um, but at the very least, we can protect ourselves and also again be the change by not participating in those conversations and redirecting the conversation when diet diet talk comes up. I want to ask you about something. I'm really curious your thoughts on this. So, you know, a lot of work I do is with sugar. And I know that you're so you're against having any type of, you know, yeses or nos or anything like that, but for my own personal experience, I found sugar to be really addictive. And um, a couple of weeks ago, I had Janine Roth, who is um, the author of Women, Food, and God, who talked a lot about her own experiences with her own eating issues. And I, I asked her if she still recommends, you know, what she did, which was she went off all plans and then had a, a cookie dough binge for about two months. You know? And mm-hmm. she said that she no longer recommends the cookie dough binge because she said people took it a little bit too far and it just got a little bit out of hand. So, you know, we're finding more and more that sugar is addictive, but how do we balance that piece of information with this need to get off of this, you know, the wagon? If well, you understand where I, mean. I, I think that the sugar is addictive conversation is a very contentious one, very controversial one. Um, you know, the reality of the situation, I mean, there's an enormous amount, uh, the evidence around sugar being quote unquote addictive is 
is not necessarily as strong as people might think. Like, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say, like, this is a fact, sugar is addictive, right? I understand why people feel that way. I mean, I certainly felt that way for many years. Um, but, you know, there's also tons of evidence to support the fact that um, when, the, you know, generally speaking, people who are experiencing, like, wild sugar binges are also tend to be people who have restricted sugar in the past, right? And that, you know, when we actually are living in allowance of different foods, um, typically speaking, we are able to make sort of intuitive choices even around things like sugar. Now, that being said, I completely also understand that this takes some level of mindfulness because sugar being addictive or not addictive aside, right, sugar is certainly, you know, has health implications, right? And so, you know, eating nothing but cookie dough for two weeks is probably going to make you feel pretty bad. Right? It's probably going to make you feel pretty sick. Um, <laughs> you know, like, and so I think that there's something to be said for, you know, actually like being able, I mean, intuitive eating, right? If you think about intuitive eating really comes down to like being, having, you know, ex- rigorous honesty with oneself around what makes me feel physically well, Right. And what makes me what actually gives me energy, what is, you know, makes me feel like groggy and bad and what makes me feel stable and grounded. Right. This is where intuitive eating rubber really hits the road is really sort of getting honest with ourselves about what actually helps our bodies thrive. Right. Not because. I have to make the healthy choice no matter what. You know, it's okay if you want to make the emotional choice sometimes. Sometimes I make the emotional choice because they're wonderful <laughs> and pleasurable. Um, but, you know, for the most part, I want to eat things that I know are going to give me the energy to come on this radio show and speak to the best of my ability, right? And are going to help me be able to live my best life outside of food in my waking hours, right? And so that will often mean, you know, making decisions, say, okay, I choose that I am not going to make this particular choice that I know will hurt me right now, because I want to be able to like go outside and run with my kids and not have a headache or whatever the symptom that you personally may experience, right? So um, there is certainly um, mindfulness to be practiced in intuitive eating and real, like this is really about being able to have like deep connection with ourself um, in a non-judgmental way. And so, you know, when people think that intuitive, I think one of the biggest myths about intuitive eating is that intuitive eating is like just fly off the walls and just, you know, eat everything. Again, everything meaning somehow only about your physical taste buds and how something tastes on your mouth. Well, no, that's not what we're looking at. When, when I eat, when I say I eat whatever I want, I eat whatever I want. And what I want is influenced not just by how it tastes in my mouth, it's also influenced by how it makes my body feel, right? And what actually nourishes me physically. Um, you know, I think another- I think this is so important, everything you're saying, because it's the antithesis of the deprivation mind. It's like, I want to feel good. I want foods that make me feel wonderful. I want to move to feel good. It's all the opposite of everything we've been taught. You know, that, you know, the no pain, no gain. And and it's so true when we veer towards, we naturally do want to feel good and healthier foods make us feel better. Right. Yeah, exactly. Just like movement also makes me feel better. Like if I do eat something sweet, I know that I'm going to feel better if I go for a walk or get a workout in that day. Because 
I know that my blood sugar, actually a big important part of balancing my blood sugar is making sure I get enough exercise. It's like people don't think about these things. These are some of the kinds of tips that, you know, doctors need to be talking about when it comes to managing chronic illness. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's so true. And I know you, you mentioned meditation was a, a challenge for you, but I will say that one of the things that really helped me more than anything was developing a meditation practice because it gave me a chance to check in and understand my body and just to start listening to what my body had to say to me and I think that you know on this journey of just being calmer around food or anything else in your life whether it's wine or drugs or anything we have to really get in touch with who am I what makes me happy and what is my body how does my body feel about it right yeah so I think yeah, I think when we can apply the meditation that it in a practical way, that it, it is actually going to work in our life, not just another to-do, you know, on mm-hmm. a list. Mm-hmm. It helps so much with all of this stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that there are so many, um, you know, this is really about just like living our best life, right? And so many dieters, I think they think that Uh, fun and living my best life is about eating nothing but brownies because that's what we've been restricted for for so long. Um, The reality of what's on their Instagram feed, right? Right. (laughs) I I guess that's true. Although I feel like I know so many quote unquote normal eaters who they don't give, they don't give one crap, excuse my language about, (laughs) about brownies, right? I mean, that is just so not what is on the top of mind. It is typically dieters and and people with dieting histories that are really, you know, sort of focused on food as a highlight of their life. Um, So, but yeah, I mean, most people I'm like, you know, if you talk to a normal eater, like quote unquote normal eater who's never been on a diet in their life and you say, what gives you most pleasure? They're going to say, oh my God, sleeping in late on a Sunday night or excuse me, Sunday morning or, oh, lying by the pool, you know, dipping my feet in the water or, you know, all of these amazing, pleasurable things that have nothing to do with food. Um, so do you come yeah. across quote unquote normal eaters very often? I feel like so many people that I meet just, you know, in my work or out of my work, just have some issue around this. Like it's very rare. And I'm not talking about, you know, technically you know, clinically disordered. I'm talking about everyday eaters. Mm-hmm. It seems like, uh, I don't know what that word means. A normal eater. <laughs> well, I will say that the more that my relationship with food has changed, the more normal eaters I find myself coming across. Like, I feel like, ah. you know, like that is a major shift. That's something I'm really, really realizing is that I'm attracting a lot more people into my life in the past, like, let's say five to 10 years that are ju- like, they just don't really care about food. Like, it just like food is just a thing that they it just happens sometimes. And I won't even go so far as to say, oh, food is just fuel. No, they eat food for pleasure too, right? They eat food, they eat a cupcake because it tastes good too, but it's just no big deal, right? It's just not a big deal. Um, And, you know, I think that, yeah. And so I I do meet more and more normal eaters. Interestingly enough, as time goes on, I will say this is a gendered issue for sure. You're seeing a lot more dieters amongst men as time goes on. Like I know so many male dieters and I absolutely don't want to um, uh, diminish that. But 
at the same time, you know, I think about sort of like the typical normal eater and like immediately what comes to mind is like, you know, like a 14 year old, like lacrosse playing boy, <laughs> you know, like, like, and I'm like, he's just like eating his pizza does not give one crap, you know? And again, I don't want to generalize because there are, unfortunately, I feel like particularly in the past 20 years as sort of the quote unquote health conversation has really evolved. Um, I think more and more men are getting trapped into this. And I think men have been trapped into this for decades. I mean, God, knows I know so many people just <laughs> just in my personal life um, men who are in this situation but there's but there's no denying that this is gendered to some extent by virtue of the pressures that women um, are um, receive around beauty in general right and like really just like you know living in a historical situation in which your worth is so heavily tied to the way you look right I mean women just experience that fundamentally differently than men because of gender issues right so that, you know, there's certainly that to be said. I, I often think, look at normal leaders. I, you know, when I was um, first getting into recovery and like really shifting my relationship with food, like I remember kind of like always sort of looking, if I had a boyfriend at the time who kind of didn't really care about food and just sort of ate when he was hungry, stopped when he was full, like just not a big deal, I would just sort of like, analyze him <laughs> just like, like, what is he doing what is he thinking that I'm missing <laughs> you know I know uh, I see that all the time with my husband he's yeah. like I'm not hungry I'm like you're not you right. know? <laughs> what is that right um, Isabel how can people learn more about you and what you do uh, so definitely my blog is a great place to start isabelfoxandduke.com um, you know there's just all sorts of introductory information on my blog it sort of reads like an ebook I always keep it curated in the same order on purpose so that people can really like have an experience of reading my blog in a, in a way that makes sense um, and then also I have a free introductory video training series like you know so if you're more of a visual person or just like videos um, go check out Stop stopfightingfood.com that's stopfightingfood.com there's three um, intro videos to my work that really sort of like lay the groundwork for what this work is and you know how I help women change their relationship with food um, so stopfightingfood.com is definitely um, that's I, I think that's probably my favorite place for for people to start I think you're going to have a lot of people heading over there after this conversation oh yay anyway, <laughs> Isabel it was so nice so nice having you here today Thank you. It's my pleasure. I so enjoyed it. This is so fun. So fun. And everyone, thanks for listening. This is Lisa Lutan. Come visit me at healthyhappyandhip.com. Leave me a note. Let me know what you liked about the show, any future guests you'd like to see on the show, and just say hello. See you next week. <laughs> you've enjoyed today's episode on busy stressed and food obsessed did you get some great ideas from today's show join lisa lutan again next thursday at 9 a.m pacific time and 12 noon eastern time on the voice america health and wellness channel have a great week